This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Stand and Deliver! Hello, it's Rodders here. Welcome to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. I'm a comedian and I'm also the promoter, the guy behind the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club at Smoking Billy's uh, right in the centre of Reading. Really busy podcast today, all sorts for your ears to enjoy. Uh, our main guest is Simon Kane. He's a terrific comedian, one of the first comics I met on the circuit, actually. And uh, we recorded our chat when he came to our Stand and Deliver Saturday special. He, he headlined with an hour-long preview of his Edinburgh show, uh, Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll and Other Things I Don't Do, which was absolutely terrific. He's, um, he's brilliant. Uh, he, he did go rather off piece though, and end up talking about Toblerone, but but it was blooming funny. So so we'll let you off, Simon. Um, and uh, well, I emceed that night, and we had Fiona Ridgewell and Sean Gorman performing as well. So it's a terrific night. Nice to do an extra show on a Saturday. And also towards the end of the podcast, we'll be hearing from Steve N. Allen. You might have seen him on BBC Two's The Mash Report uh, recently, and he also performs in the big clubs up and down the country, so you, you may have even seen him uh, in the flesh. He'll be talking to me about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and that's all because I'm going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe for the last week from the 20th until the 26th of August. It's Mirth in the Morning with me, Rodders, 10 past 11 every morning that week uh, at the Loft in the Counting House. Uh, me and a whole host of other great acts. More on that in a little bit. Uh, but before we get on to Simon Kane, I thought I'd just give you a quick, uh, well, I'll just tell you what I've been up to because it, it's my podcast. Why not? Uh, I've, I've moved out of my parents' house. Uh, that's very, very exciting because I was self-employed in radio uh, for six years after uni and then... Um, some months you do very, very well being self-employed. Other months, it would be quite difficult. Um, so I never really had the confidence to go rent somewhere of my own. And now I, I've got a, a more stable day job in IT. I still do a bit of radio here and there. Uh, but uh, my main worry is taken care of by, by, the, by the day job. And then of an evening, I get to perform comedy and run the comedy club. And at last, I've, I've got a room in a lovely little terrace house with an old uni friend. So that's good. I think it's important... Uh, for comedians have have their own space. I'll get on, just in case they're listening, I'll get on really well with my parents. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm one of the rare people these days that seem to have nice parents. Um, so it's just good to have your own headspace. I was home alone on, on Friday night and it was really good. I just sat there on my laptop and went through a lot of my jokes and material that I've been writing uh, that I've been putting off doing or not being able to do uh, for ages. Because I, I found the last couple of months I've been gigging loads to get ready for Edinburgh, but I haven't necessarily been writing and rewriting enough. There's that sort of hampers how much progress you make you've always got to balance writing time with performance time because you've got I've got to have time even if you're an actor that improvises a lot which, which I tend to do now uh, I, I find I have to have time to decompress and analyse whether what I improvised was any good and whether it's worth just binning it or or trying to recreate it at another gig. Um, so yeah, that's that's really really nice. And uh, today I took on the horror that was uh, was the bathroom that hasn't been that uh, hadn't been cleaned for a month. Um, uh, weirdly satisfying, but don't worry, this isn't going to become um, the cleaning podcast with Rodders. Um, I'm not going to be do clean, doing doing uh, like Dettol related humour, although I must have used about ten 
pints of Dettol on that, that grim bar from... <laughs> but it's, it's all all right now, in case you were wondering. Uh, the, the environmental agency will not be ringing my doorbell anytime soon. I mean, I'm not the tidiest of people, so the fact that I was motivated to do that bar from means it must have been in, in quite a state. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've done something which I don't often do. I've been emceeing my own comedy club. Uh, I performed at the Stand and Deliver Saturday special with Simon Kane headlining. And uh, last Thursday, which was Thursday the 9th of August, uh, we had Bobby Mayer's headline and, and I was emceeing that show as well, just to get me ready for Edinburgh. Uh, now, people often ask me, uh, uh, well, comics ask me a lot, oh, you run your own gig, why don't you just make yourself resident MC and, and host the thing every, every single month? And I like, that would be an amazing amount of stage time. I'd learn so much. Uh, and they probably think I'm an idiot for not jumping on that opportunity. But at the moment, maybe my mind will change and I'll, I'll become selfish. But at the moment, I care far more about the long term health of the comedy club than I do about my own comedy career slash ego. I like to book someone different every week because we have an awful lot of regulars. We have a really nice, dedicated bunch of people that turn up to pretty much every single show. So the last thing I want to do is be forced to try out loads and loads of new material on them because um, I, I haven't got enough tried and tested for them and uh you know i don't want to bore them with the same old stuff um so, so i don't tend to do it that often I d- i'm tending to mc a lot of other places and i am did a gig an mc spot in between uh emceeing my, my uh, comedy nights uh but it, it's just emceeing my own gig with a, a gap of two weeks between the two shows uh, sort of show but I thought I had a lot of material I was under the illusion that I have loads and loads of jokes and a huge repertoire but suddenly when you're confronted with audiences that you physically recognise and you think oh well I said all that those jokes last time I can't get away with doing it again uh, I had to I reused some of them admittedly but it made me scrape around my notebook and dig for stuff that I hadn't used for a little while it forced me to improvise a bit more which was great fun uh, but it just taught me uh, Rodders, that, that's me I've got to do some more writing and I've just got to keep on this one I'm so looking forward to Edinburgh I'm going to be gigging about four times a day so that's a perfect opportunity to write and write and write and try and try and try new stuff and hopefully come back from the fringe well, hopefully come back from the fringe but um, with uh, not only myself intact but also a whole suitcase full of new material uh, to perform it also reminded me why I think being a promoter and hosting a gig is uh, were two very separate jobs. I'm not saying if you lots of people promote and MC their own gig. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, my goodness, how do you cope with the, the stress? It's bonkers. I think it organising and performing. I think it uses very separate parts of your brains. I got no scientific basis for that, but so so just take it as an analogy. Um, so it's like two parts of your brain pulling against each other. The arty farty, ooh, look at me side to the, uh, well, actually, we, we, oh, dear, we're, we've got a back time in this. Oh, dear, the interval's overrunning by three minutes. Come on, guys, let's start the second half again. And, uh, you know, thank goodness I had my mate Carl helping me and my mate Robert helping me at the previous shows. Otherwise, I think I would, my head would have exploded. Afterwards, I, 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 I've, uh, I felt this very weird mixture of uh, tired and wired um so it's yeah it's a lot of stress doing both but um it was definitely worth it learned so much from doing it and i will MC my comedy club again at some point but not next month on the 13th we've got one of my favorite acts izzy lawrence is back so i'm gonna take the night off and and just hide in the lighting box and let her do all the showing off i'm sure she'll be very happy to do that Right, it's about time we heard from our guest, Simon Kane, recorded 
Just before we started the Stand and Deliver Saturday special where Simon was presenting his Edinburgh Fringe preview for us, uh, we sat down for a, a good while and we talked about absolutely anything. We talked about how how to deal with gigs that are going really, really badly in a graceful fashion, uh, how to play audiences that you're very, very different to, why Simon thinks it's not enough to be funny, and we even got into some, some quite quite heavy topics of why a lot of, he reckons a lot of jokes that are thrown at Trump actually detract from the real scene serious issues that are going on with, with uh, uh, Mr. Trump and uh, the limitations of online movements such as the hashtag uh, MeToo movement. And we also discuss why Simon has now chosen to pursue doing hour-long theatre-style sty- shows. It's very interesting. Simon Kane is he's probably one of the most thoughtful and nice people on the circuit is a comedian with a conscience he helped organize a food bank collection at the edinburgh fringe um he's just an all-around nice guy and, and and thinks and overthinks about every little issue uh morally in his life so he's, he's fascinating to talk to he's one of these people you can't have a short conversation with because there is so much to discuss this is Simon Kane. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. I'm at Smoking Billy's, the venue of the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. It is, well, doors have just opened. People are meandering in. And we're about to do our Saturday special. And I'm with Simon Kane. Hello, Simon. Hello, you all right? I'm really good. I'm, ex- I'm always quite nervous before running a show. But I'm also emceeing tonight. So uh, oh. I, I, I had to have dinner at about 4pm. Because now I wouldn't be able to eat. No, you need... I, I, I like to not feel bilious before a gig so if I eat too close I always feel like oh, I'm quite podgy I'm quite podgy anyway but like I don't want to f- I don't want to feel like they think I'm podgy <laughs> so I sort of eat around so like my show in Edinburgh is at six so I'm going to be having breakfast at like midday and then I'll probably be having dinner so lunch about seven and then I'll be having dinner about midnight it's more because I physically can't eat and they ought oh, really? to do they ought to do a bilious menu at smoking billies that, I mean yeah, the portions yeah. are, are gigantic um, <laughs> but no I I get so excited or nervous that I can't eat I'd, I'd be ill I wouldn't be able to do it that's yeah I, I, I know a lot of performers do that I just I, I'm really I'm, I'm a former fat kid so eating has never been a problem for me really even when I'm full do you not get nervous and does that not affect your appetite at all uh, nerves no adrenaline yes I think that's been a really interesting thing for the last couple of years in learning the difference between the two uh, not just in stand-up, in every... Like, you know when you want to go and talk to a girl and, like, you get, like, a really, like, sort of buzzy feeling in your thing? There's a bit of nerves in there, but I think the real thing is adrenaline there. And I think th- to know the difference between flight and fight is really important in life. So I, I think, yeah, that's more... I just... My tactic is just to ignore it because I know I'm not... Go- I'm not going to... Oh, yeah, ignore yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what they look like. Ignore, uh, <laughs> ignore it. No, but with, with nerves, I ignore it and then just go... Especially with stand-up because it's like... I've probably travelled, or I've probably had to do some admin. Yeah. So there's no way I'm not to get it. it doesn't, it's irrelevant how bad I feel. And sometimes I feel dreadful. It's like radiation sickness. Yeah. Other nights I feel fine. On the good nights I just feel excited yeah. and happy to be alive and happy to be there. Regardless, irrelevant. I'll get up there because that's what I've got to do. I'd be more angry at myself for bottling it and not going on than um, going on and just feeling nervous. I would rather go up on stage, forget every line and bomb, than... Go like get to the gig, get nervous, and go home. Like it's just after at that stage, you take into account all the time you've done to get the gig, sort the time, get there, and all that stuff. I'd I'd rather just go on stage and literally bomb than because 
like learning. Well, figuratively bomb if I'm going to be permitted. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd rather commit an act of terrorism <laughs> in a comedy club. Well, I mean, I'm sure. No, I'm not going to say that. Sure, but I. Oh, uh, he's censoring himself. That's modern comedy for you. Can't say that anymore. Got to, got to watch it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you've never really been able to say I can blow up a gig. But um, <laughs> I just, I, yeah, I, 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 I think learning how to bomb with grace is an important skill as well. That's interesting because, like, I guess you have to. There's a fine line because if you tell an audience you're giving up and you're capitulating, then you lose even more. But if you ignore the fact you're bombing, you look delusional. So I guess there's a fine line between acknowledging and then, like, because I had it, I won't name him, I, I could do, because like, he forgot it. He didn't bomb, but what he did, he forgot his jokes, right. which was crazy because I've seen him do set perfectly a hundred times. He forgot his jokes. But he forgot about it, and I was like, if you were going to do that, that was the best way you could have done it, because he was so affable, yeah. and just like, the crowd liked him so much, they didn't really care. Yeah, yeah. I, I, no, I think I'm thinking of something different. I'm thinking of actual bombing. I'm thinking, like, you go on stage, and no one's laughing at what you're saying, and you just have to sort of deal with the fact that they don't like you, or they don't share the perspective on you and stuff. At that point, does it, isn't it irrelevant whether you do it gracefully or not, because you've already got to the worst point of comedy? No, because statistically, in a room of, let's say, ten people, right, just because we can extrapolate those numbers, every ten people, one person in the room probably still likes you, even though they're not feeling like they're going to laugh because they don't want to be seen as the one that, you know, stuck their neck out. So it's like, it's like the reverse, because like, in a room of a hundred people, if there's one heckler, they really want to be the loudest. So... I don't want to. I don't want to look bad to the one or two people that are going to come up to me afterwards and go, "You handled that really well." Oh yeah, no, no, I, I just didn't want to laugh because I felt you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's ever a time where I'm in a room. Well, that's not true. I got booked to do a Tory. Um, a Tory. Uh, a, a, it was a gig for a Tory benefit. Did they call it Tory Stories? No, is that oh. a gig? They should have done Tory oh. Stories, headlined by Leo Curse. That'd be incredible. Oh, Leo would have headlined that. Yeah, Leo would have headlined that. No, I, I, they, they booked me for a, a fundraiser, and that was probably the one time that I felt like nobody in the room was going to be on the same side as me. I mean, um, you're diametrically not a Tory, so why did you take the booking? <laughs> you were like, well, there's nothing in the diary today. Because the, the, they were a friend of a friend, and when they got in touch, they said it was a, a, a. Um, women call it a fundraiser but they were never specific on the details and then when I got there like there was a Tory like banner and all this sort of stuff and I said to him do you know I'm not a Tory and he was like oh no it doesn't, it doesn't matter because we've got people of all kinds you know like he was trying to book loads of different viewpoints and stuff and I was like I can understand that if you were doing it for like a I don't know like a, a, a panel or whatever but it just seems really odd to book someone who I mean, I have friends who are Tories. It's not like a, a, I haven't got a problem with them as such, but I just don't think my comedy necessarily... Some of my best friends are Tories. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, no. I've not got any... <laughs> I'm not going to go that friends. far. No, no, I wouldn't have best but friends that is, uh, But I, a lot of your... St- you're not overtly a political committee. I guess you are a bit. I guess some of your stuff's material, but you've got uh, enough stuff that isn't political. Surely that could have gone all right? Yeah, but you feel like you can't not do a joke about that, mm. uh, that sort of... G- do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, like, it's like I got booked for a, um, a Jewish fundraiser about two years in comedy so I did my jokes about what Hitler would have done in a parallel universe when Schindler's making lifts um, and, and it went really well actually at that one like because they knew all the references like they knew absolutely everything I was talking about so as a result they laughed harder than any other people had ever laughed at those jokes because they knew how horrific it was and the, the fun I was poking at him not them although the organiser wasn't happy about that but 
but surely the organizer my reaction is yeah. normally based on how the audience react if uh, if i'm not sure and i've taken a chance on an act and, yeah. and and the audience are laughing i'm like well i was nearly wrong fair play to them that's my attitude as a booker yeah but the, yeah but the, their take on it was uh, just it being funny isn't enough and they said that i should have i should have mediated what i was saying to to the audience and i was like i felt like i did because i felt like i was um talking to a group of people who know more about this than i do and i'm just dealing with puns i was saying things like you know he'd make um you know face cream that would completely eliminate the blackheads from your life you know like for, it was just it was just wordplay it is yeah it's just silly ideas it's not you know there's no it, it's poking fun at his ideologies through puns and silly quips it's like at no point did i say Andy kills all the Jews. Like, I wasn't like, that's going to be a sound, but I can feel you taking that <laughs> out of context. Two things that sprung to mind. You're saying being funny is not enough. Surely it should be, because you've been booked as a comic. That's your only purpose. Uh, like, surely. Mm, I debate that. Go on. It depends on what you're doing. If you're doing a club set, yeah. What, what was be- this? A bar mitzvah? Oh, no. <laughs> no, like they were raising money because a load of them wanted to go to Israel, like a, a birthright thing. So it's, it's, it's a thing in the Jewish religion where, like, uh, you you go to Israel to find yourself and your, your religion and the problem. I don't fully understand it. If I'm completely honest with you. So they want to go there and you discover more about it and whatever. That's perfectly reasonable. So you're raising money for that, and I got booked from that through a friend of a friend again. And uh, yeah, no, I I think if you're doing a show, uh, being funny is enough. But I think, as you said jokingly before we did this podcast. You know, you need something on top of just it being a podcast or just it being a show in order for them to leave and remember it. Because if it's just X, Y... I had a, I had a meeting with an agent, like, two years ago, and, I, and they said, so um, how would you describe what you do? And I said, oh, I'm fucking hilarious. Just, just as, like, an off-the-cuff, arrogant statement to see what they did. And they went, no, I know that, but what else? And I was like, what do you mean, what else? And they were like, well, we, we can't sell hilarious because hilarious is what... Loads of people are hilarious. What do, we, what do we do with you if you're not... You know, there's loads of white middle-class men who are hilarious. And so it was a weird, interesting thing. My other point was, I was going to ask, it was, you're saying about how you were poking fun at Hitler's ideology and you weren't going to just going, oh, I'll kill them all, etc. There does seem to be this thing now where as soon as you, it seems to be certain groups, Nazis being one of them, as soon as you mention them, people assume that even if you're making fun of, that you're somehow normalising and you're on that. I had a really big row with someone about this kind of thing and I don't tend to argue with people anymore. I've, I've, mm. I don't because like, you can't change people's views for the most point and I don't really mm. want to. I'm just happy to bumble along. I'm not mm. really interested anymore. Yeah. I did a degree in arguing. I did philosophy. Mm. So I argued for three <laughs> years and about two years afterwards and I thought, well, actually, I've had enough of this. Yeah. But like, it does seem to be that if you're making jokes about the Nazis, people immediately somehow think you're either being somehow justifying them and I, de- I don't understand that because surely you should that's one group you should be able to take the piss out of uh, mm, uh, I don't my viewpoint changes on this because you did it and I don't think you should have to justify it I didn't know in the end I didn't have to justify it because she was telling me off and saying oh maybe don't do that and literally about sure t- I'll go back in time and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, so, I'm sorry I was too funny <laughs> no no like ten, ten, ten people do like a group of them came walking past so they all just like tried to like reach over her to shake my hand and were like oh that's really good I really like that oh we should have them back that sort of thing and so she kind of just stopped she kind of just went well I still think my point stands and, but you know well it doesn't she's wrong <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she's a very good booker though yeah, yeah 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 she had the, she had the right 
you know, she's not she's not booked me for anything recently. I haven't got any permits in the calendar, but um, but no, no, you should be allowed to joke about yeah. these sort of things without being lumped in with it. And also, yes. I think under the banner of this is comedy, there should be an, an like if you're taking a comedy show too seriously, yes. then you're in there in the wrong spirit. Yes, and there's there's a level of. Uh, not accountability. I can't remember the word, but there's like a level of responsibility. Uh, or no, no, no. It's 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 that you when you get on stage, it's a diff- It's a different context. So you should be allowed to say things that you. You know, I can go up on. I should be allowed to go. <laughs> I won't, but I should be allowed to go up on stage and just say horrific things if I want to, because of the context of theatre and comedy, and I, and I should be allowed. To, uh, not by the way, you're looking at me like, what the fuck's this show about? <laughs> um, no, but but the, the point is, is that I would defend someone if they got up on stage and did that. That under free speech and context they should be allowed to do that if they just did it like this and they were like oh I hate all the Jews or I hate all the blacks or whatever it would be I'd be like well hang on now we've got a problem because I don't I mean I'd never change their mind like you said no one walks around thinking I wish someone would change my mind about something that's fundamentally core to me like, <laughs> that's n- really nobody does point. that nobody does that and, and so as a result nobody's walking around with an open enough mind to allow a new opinion in and I'm the, I'm the same I'm not you know uh, I'd consider myself fairly open minded but I don't change it very often I just take in other people's points of view and try and mould mine to make myself look better but, I mean you're so woke you went to a Tory gathering yeah. even though you're not a Tory you've yeah. gone too far the other way I've mate gone too far the other way but I, back to your original point I would say there are certain jokes that do damage and there are certain jokes that don't so I get annoyed with Trump uh, like as in I get annoyed with Trump full stop send that there but I also get annoyed with jokes about his appearance but I also find some of them funny but I think too many jokes about his appearance detract from a lot of actual things that he does wrong. Because they're lazy, they're lazy hack jokes. Is yeah. That your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I understand why you would do it because because yeah, he, if he's such a misogynist, how can you get the moral high ground by saying yeah, just petty childhood? Oh, isn't he orange? Isn't he a willy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he he mocks people for what they look like and what they say, you know, that sort of thing. And you're you're not. Uh, and he's better at it than most of the comedians. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, he'd he'd, he'd smash Edinburgh if that was the. <laughs> I'm trying to book him. <laughs> uh, you know, with any luck, he won't be a president for much longer. Trump you'll... and deliver. Yeah, maybe he'll be. A... Nah, <laughs> maybe he'll be uh, on the circuit soon. He'd sell more tickets than me. There's no way he wouldn't. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. So for me, it depends on what the joke is and the context of that joke. So some of it, I genuinely feel, does a lot of damage. But some of it, I think, you, you can't. It's like the whole Me Too thing, right? Which I, I won't get into too much because I, I, I don't want to be on record on anything on this thing. But it's like there are scales to certain things that are happening in this movement. And a lot of it just gets lumped in together. And you have to sort of go, well, all of it's wrong, but let's look at what the individual person did and why. So and you shouldn't compare a wolf whistle to a full-on a wolf whistle to a full-on sexual exactly. assault, and that hashtag seems to encompass both. Yes, exactly. And don't get me wrong, it is encompassing both because you know, much like toxic masculinity covers you know aggressively grabbing women and whatever, uh, as well as feeling like they're your possession, but not act. You know that sort. Of, they, they, it's, they need broad labels because they are a broad spectrum. But I do think that. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to make this funny and I don't know how to no, do it. No, you don't have to. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to. Like, know, that's for the stage. But I, I, had a, I had a similar argument with someone and it, it seems to be these things are very polarising and you're not allowed to have a nuanced view. Because I said to someone, I don't, I don't, know, exactly, why, I don't yeah. know why they... A, it's their fault for asking my opinion. You should yeah. never do that. It's, it's irrelevant what I think about anything. Never ask and, uh, Exactly, never do. <laughs> but they, they, see, I, they, they asked me 
about it and I said, look, I don't think it's made a damn bit of difference. Most people aren't on Twitter and plus, like, it just seems to be too nebulous and ill-defined. It doesn't mean anything. She goes, oh, well, do you think men should be allowed to sexually assault women? I was like, I don't remember saying that. No. <laughs> so I, don't, I, didn't, I don't think that at all. No. I just don't, I just think there's more to joining a movement than a hashtag. At yeah. least there should be. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think if someone goes out and is just nice to people and doesn't have a Twitter account, that does far more than putting hashtag me too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, from my perspective of it, I think uh, that movement has done a lot of good and that movement's opened up a lot of conversations, but I think there's also a a step... My my next step, if I was, for some reason, the head of that movement, would be to look at the reasons why... But there's no head of that movement, that's the thing, isn't it? There's no one in charge. And also, things are never bad or good. You've just highlighted a bad thing and a good thing, and that's called having a nuanced view, whereas like people want everyone to be left-wing or right-wing or Brexit or anti-Brexit or Paxos or anti-Paxos. I prefer Paxos than Miss Harker's better. But that's that's just... Greek (laughs) but i i think that there's there's a good reason for that in that we're all quite lazy and we all just kind of want to have our have our you know like nugget of what someone is and and what they aren't and and that and that makes it easier for us to sort of project everyone wants to be part of a gang really everyone wants to have their mates so if they can jump on something they will yeah yeah i've always wanted to be part of a gang (laughs) still got no friends but i i think i think that you should take into account the reasons why things happen because ultimately if for example there's a, say there's a ah, say there's a systemic problem in that men are feeling uh, frustrated because they're not allowed to express their emotions because of toxic masculinity so they take it out on women for example in the 1960s 50s whatever right you have to address that cause problem and not just go isn't it bad they're hitting them because of course that's bad yeah and, and h- hitting is already illegal and hitting being yeah. illegal doesn't stop it so no. I guess you've got to get to the root yeah and, and if the root is that let's go back to that and deal with that problem and then that'll but it's so much easier to just go hitting women's wrong and you're like I, yeah I'm agreed hitting anyone's wrong by the way I don't agree with let's the, hit people that hit women right? yeah yeah <laughs> bring someone on next week let's have a debate um, no but I, I mean I, that's another issue I always, I always get annoyed with the fact that the phrase is never hit a woman it's like never hit anyone like, yeah, it's, it's bad manners, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, yeah, it's very bad form, Peter. Very bad form. Um, well, I say my rider at gigs is just for people to be civil to me. Um, civil? Oh, okay. I'll try that later. Yeah, <laughs> You've been, so been a knob so far. You had fun finding the car park. Oh my god, the car park! Yeah, you got it, trapped in the Reading one-way system. If you're coming to Reading, uh, remember it has a one-way system that's designed to piss you off, and also it's not the home of car parking that it portrays to be. I mean, it's got a lot of NCP <laughs> car parks, but uh, that is not friendly to car park people car park drivers is what I'm trying to say car park yeah. Oscar Wilde wasn't actually imprisoned in Reading Jail he just couldn't find a parking couldn't space couldn't find his way out <laughs> that's the problem oh, was oh. it Oscar Wilde no who was the one that they found in the car park was it oh that Wilde? was in Leicester oh okay fine oh, sorry yeah, Leicester's not better for parking I like <laughs> yeah right let's move uh, right so uh, <laughs> oh, what, I, what I did want to ask you about is well you're here today to do your hour long show mm-hmm. oh, and I, also you're prob- I think you're the first comedian I properly met and chatted to when I it was an open mic night it was at Liverpool Street under the guise yeah. of Dead Comedian Socks yeah, and I was really excited because you'd set up the comedy collective that yeah. big forum thing so I was like oh a familiar face and then you were very welcoming and nice I thought oh I've joined comedy this is nice and you were like in those days or, and like certainly years after mm. I saw you as someone who was destined to become a club comic because you had Me. tight set you were a one liner okay. and now it seems like you veered away and your big obsession seems to be let's trot out hour long shows every year work on those was it a conscious choice or did you kind of get pushed out of 
the chances to do clubs. <laughs> Are you asking if I'm shit at clubs now? Uh, no, well, no. I just wonder because there's lots of factors that means the club suddenly won't want you, i.e. there's loads of us. Um, yeah, yeah. And, or was it more... Was it a bit of both? That's my question. I I love doing clubs. Like I, I do, I still do club sets and tight twenties and all that sort of stuff. But for me, there was a moment where I I realised that if you want an audience and you don't want to have to depend on another audience, like you know you don't want to you don't want to book two hundred and fifty clubs a year, and that means you have to deal with maybe one hundred and twenty five promoters a year. Blah blah blah. Then you need to build your own audience, and the best way of doing that is by providing them first of all entertainment but second of all a unique reason for staying with you and my podcast uh, RC Industry Podcast download it on iTunes and Stitcher and all other great podcast players uh, it it meant that the more I spoke to people the more that especially established comedians the the ones that I really respected who were on the, the circuit kept saying things like well yeah you get onto it and then you can't really get off it because it's your bread and butter and it's really hard to to move on from that even if you want to write an hour you've got to then take you know three months off of the year to go to Edinburgh not just the month of Edinburgh because you've got to preview it and Mm. go around and do that which means you can't gig and and you can't really double it's really hard to double up with a 20 minute somewhere and then do an hour somewhere else it's just not possible so once you're on that circuit it's increasingly it might have just been the select sample of people I was talking to but it's increasingly hard to get off of it because you know at some point you might have a kid or a wife or whatever and as a result you now have bills and you have accountability and it's even worse so I thought if I only get a finite amount of gigs and I get only a finite amount of time to live and I get you know all this sort of stuff why not try and invest that time in building an audience why not try and see if I can not bypass the club thing because I still do them but Mm. focus on hours and what I like about doing hours more than club sets is A, your ideas have more breathing space, but B, people feel more like they, they enjoy your company more than they do. Because if you're just on a, you, you know, it's like you've run clubs and you've done clubs. If you're just one of five comedians and often five m- white male comedians. The game is try and be memorable in that yeah. very short space of time, whereas you've got an hour, it's theatre. Yeah. In fact, we're, run, we're doing both tonight. We've got me emceeing, we've yeah. got two hours, right? so we're, the first half's going to be a comedy club mm. and then next half is all yours so all that, it's yeah. going to be so we're kind of doing the, doing the best of both yeah. I, I guess the club com- obvious thing to say but the club comics need the clubs whereas yeah. like you can just phone a venue and if you could have cough up enough to hire it and think you can break even or make a profit on it then you can just go for it well again the advantage of doing this sort of path if you like long term again because I'm sort of four years into this path or three and a half years into this path is venues that you worked with before start to because here's the thing that there are fees involved in renting venues but once you've brought enough of people in or they've shown or you've shown enough diligence that you're trying to build noise to try and bring people back and help them make money because they've got a bar or whatever eventually they start dropping those fees because they're like well he's our yearly booking for that month or, or he comes here and does a preview and brings in 30 40 50 people you know and it adds up and it keeps getting bigger and they want you to come back so there are a lot of places that i did gigs in two years ago that charged me you know 50 70 80 quid to rent that are now either charging me 20 30 or nothing to come back which is perfect because it means that there's less you know pressure on me to make back that money but also they're more invested in me which adds up for me to be i mean i don't know it it's much more fun to be able to email a venue that you're friends with or friendly with and go hey i just i would love to do a preview what have you got and they say we've got these dates 
you know you can have for free if you want to come do it and then because half of it because you don't live in that town you've got to trust them to do a bit of marketing as well so yeah. it's team, like it's, it's teamwork isn't it like this venue helps me out yeah. and the venue know I'm flogging and I know the venue's flogging yeah. so it kind of works yeah and if, if one person doesn't do anything then it's not going to work out yeah so imagine that times well for me it's about 40 venues around the country at the moment and I'm trying to get it up to sort of 50 in the next year or so but then but then you've got to remember that like so there are some venues around the country your admin skills are incredible though it's ridiculous that how you t- I have enough trouble organising a monthly show and a few of my own gigs like, and a week in Edinburgh yeah I, I, I don't know I, I don't think I think I, I keep having this debate and I personally think I'm quite lazy um, but sorry yeah I think I'm lazy uh, I, I have a I have a workaholic compulsion that makes me feel like I never do enough um, and I feel a bit like that, but you, you take it to another level, I feel, because I always feel I'm not doing quite enough. But occasionally, like, I have to force myself to have a day off because otherwise you just get too knackered. Yeah. And like, everyone thinks, oh, you're really busy. I said, yeah, but this is my... My, yeah. my uh, standing still is yeah. much busier than someone's doing, like, normal completely. day-to-day. So I, it, the, the bar's higher for me, I think. Yeah, no, completely. I, this week has been the only, like, the only week in a while that I've felt genuinely proud of. I, I've been on a writing job for like three and a half months at YouTube and I, I've been writing remotely for them for a week in Ireland and on top of that I've, been, I've done four previews and a club set and I did two podcasts as guests and then one at recording as, as me in, a, in four days, no, four and a half days, um, which is the most I've ever really crammed into a week. And I felt like all of it went really well. It was knackering and it was sort of 19-hour days. But it's the first time I've gone, oh, good, I've achieved something. Because the amount of times I feel like, oh, I'm sitting watching a TV show and I'm waiting. But you could always have done more and that's the annoying thing. It's best not to think that. I'll say one thing for admin, though. If you're going to do something more than once, there's got to be a way of making it quicker. Cut and paste, isn't it? Well, sort of, yeah. Uh, You joke the posters. Cut and paste, I yeah, do. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and there's actually a lot of uh, plus points to that in the you know the branding people get used to and the styling and they sort of you know it, it's like Coca-Cola always kind of keeps that same red even though they change the font every fifty years or whatever. So you kind of know that red is theirs even if the you know uh, lettering's different. So for me, it's like if I'm if I'm doing Edinburgh, I have a routine of the different things I do for Edinburgh that I just have to budget time for and if you don't budget the time it doesn't get done and so what I tend to do is I budget an hour of procrastination a day I do that <laughs> and that's then... not a procrastination works procrastination no. happens while you're doing something yeah but I, I made it a task that I do as a thing <laughs> that's not procrastination then it is though because I'm doing nothing I'm just sat there watching TV that's or relaxation no. if you were writing an essay it, no. and then you got distracted by YouTube that's procrastinating because it, it means you're putting off no I call it my procrastination allowance this is brilliant I love the fact you timed over that and I love it yeah I t- I time that for an hour I then go and do all my work and the deal is if I get all the work done by a certain time I get to procrastinate more at the other end which I know is not the definition of the word but I like using it for that because psychologically I think of it as procrastinating it's an amazing way of doing it I need to ask you one more question I need to open the front of the house for the comedy club (laughs) it's bloody convenient should we just slack it off and time to go home I'm enjoying this chat Uh, well I don't know if you want to ask her actually I heard a rumour you turned down like a really nice full time job that yeah. probably would have given you... Are you, are you happy talking like this yeah, or not? Because you, you turned down a full-time job that seemed like it would give you enough time to go off and do Edinburgh, so you're still better to do comedy. It wouldn't mean quitting comedy, <laughs> yeah. because it's kind of the opposite. I was self-employed doing radio, and recently I've had to stop that, and yeah. I've got a nine-to-five. Yeah. And I found it the most liberating thing in the world, because I know what income I'm getting, yeah, yeah. and I can just go do comedy and not worry about the financial consequence. And creatively, my headspace is much better, because I'm not thinking about radio shows, and now yeah. I'm, I'm a becoming a better comic as a yeah. result 
that's because is that then, works for you. Yeah, is, it, what, what was your, your thought process then? Because we seem to have done the opposite. <laughs> I'm really lazy, that's why. Okay, so... But being, being self-employed like you are is much harder work. I'm, I feel I haven't taken the soft option because I get holidays. If I mm. can't be bothered to come to work, I'll tell them and then I get paid. It's yeah. silly. If yeah. I'm sick, they still pay me. Um, mm. Having been self-employed, that's a luxury to me. Yeah. Um, what was your thought, if you can say briefly? No, okay, so I'll give, you, I'll give you the brief overview. I had a gig, it got cancelled, and on the same day that got cancelled, I got offered a job interview. And, I, and it was around, like, near where I was working at the time anyway. So I thought, okay, I'll go and do the job. Uh, so the interview. I took the interview, and this happened two more times. And by the third time, I was in... I, I didn't realise this until I got into the room, because they didn't tell me. I was in the room with the head of a motoring company that I can't name because of the NDA that I signed. But it, it was one of the biggest ones in the world and uh, the head of the social media department at this company. And afterwards, the guy came up, like the guy, the recruiter said to me, we really want you. The, the, initial, or, like, the initial fee was something like 30 grand a year or whatever. Um, but what we need is now we need someone to head up the team because the company, the brand, has now wants a team that covers all of the world rather than just the UK. And they want someone that, that knows what they're doing in all the areas. So they basically want someone who's experienced enough that can manage a team and do that. We think that's you. So we want to up the amount by 10 grand and offer you that job. And I said, can I think about it? Because I, 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 I don't get that. I, I, I never make decisions like that on the spot. Yeah, I, so what, what was your rationale for saying, I'm happy how I am? So the reason I didn't want to take it was because I know I'm lazy. Genuinely. I, I, if I'd taken that... I wouldn't have worked on a show for Edinburgh. I would have sat at the desk every day. I would have stayed extra hours because I would have felt an obligation to them because they've done me a lot of favours. I would have worked really hard for them. And, I and then gone home and not done anything. Yeah. I, the, the, the only, I, had, I had three months That's where I had... A, yeah, I had three months where I had a full-time job just after uni. And it was the worst time of my life because I couldn't be asked to meet my friends after work. I couldn't be asked to, to go and do anything that I wanted to do. Like, I, I had hobbies and things. So I just stopped doing it because I'd just be tired and I'd go, I can't be bothered. But when I freelance, even though I'm working as much and I'm, work, I'm doing the same job, I automatically feel like I have to do this because it's actually not my plan A, it's my plan B. It's the thing that fuels my, my goal. So as a result of going, I, I, this, is, this is not my main thing, I have to go out afterwards and do a gig, or I have to work harder. So there's that pressure that yeah. keeps you going. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. We've got a sort of comedy Sorry. show. Thank you so much, Simon. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter at this made me cool, or on iTunes. Just search my name, and you'll find uh, more content than you probably want. <laughs> awesome. Now let's go open a comedy club. Yeah. We've got a show to do. Awesome. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. It's never a pain to talk to Simon Kane. What a top lad! Uh, yeah, no, it was great talking to Simon. Uh, please check out his website. Go to simonkane.co.uk. C A I N E. Uh, check out his tour and also have a listen to his uh, two podcasts. The Ask the Industry podcast gives you a real behind-the-scenes look at the world of comedy. He talks to directors, uh, people who choose who goes on TV, uh, all sorts of people. And also, the Audio Time Capsule podcast is a quite frankly genius concept for a podcast that I, I wish I'd thought of. Uh, go and have a listen. It's blooming good. Now, I'm going to play you, admittedly, what is a bit of archive footage from 2014 from another radio show I did called The Land of Rod. Um, yeah, I know. I don't know what I was thinking. Perhaps I, I, I wasn't thinking. Uh, but this is a chat I had with Steve N. Allen. He's a radio presenter. He's a professional radio presenter and professional stand-up comedian. Uh, you might have heard him on Time FM in Romford, if you live in that part of the uh, the country. Or 
or uh, you may have seen him on BBC Two's The Mash Report, a satirical news programme. I first met him back in, well, ages ago at Reading 107 FM. I was a radio presenter. He was presenting Drive Time. And uh, also, a fun Steve bit of trivia, he performed at the first ever Stand and Deliver Comedy Club uh, when we did the opening night. I was, I was so nervous. It was unbelievable. Um, and it was, yeah, two and a half years ago, Steve helped me open the club. Um, so this archive footage I'm going to play to you uh, was a chat I recorded at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in a coffee house on Grass Market uh, back in 2014. It's the first and only previous time that I've ever been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and I just sat down with him and I just chatted to him about all things Edinburgh. I talked about uh, uh, whether the Fringe is becoming too big for its own good and whether reviewers have uh, uh, really have that power because uh, comics are pretty scared of reviewers to be honest with you. Uh, do bear with the sound quality. It was recorded just on my phone uh, so it's not as good as a lot of uh, the audio quality that I've now become accustomed to on, on this podcast. So if you've never been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, basically they take over an entire town and everything from the top floor of double-decker buses to the back rooms of restaurants get turned into venues for comedians, theatre and other sorts of performers. So it's so it's this really bizarre melting pot of arts and culture and, and sheer lunacy. Uh, so here I am chatting to Steve and Alan about all things Edinburgh Fringe back in ye old year of 2014. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. Well, I've made it all the way to Scottish land. I'm now an international comic, technically, because I've told jokes and crossed a border. And uh, Stephen Allen is here. I've bumped into Stephen. And you're doing three shows a day for three At least, yeah. weeks, which is, it's, um, is that your normal workload or is this even for you a bit much? Uh, it's a bad idea. No, you're right. It's, it's, it's quite a lot of work, but I suppose when you're in a city like this, uh, I have nothing else to do. I don't particularly know anyone around here so you might as well stand on stage and tell the same jokes over and over again to yes, if, I'm, if I'm not watching stand up I want to be doing it and the the audience numbers in there there's this whole I think it's a myth about the average audience being four um, I've never I haven't been in a show yet so I've only been in a couple where it's been that low has the, the numbers been alright for you? yeah it's been in the, in the double figures and that, that seems like an audience and some of the rooms I've been are so small The I did a gig last night in a place where I think if you have 20 people in there it would be it would be rammed it would be a health and safety nightmare so yeah, I don't know where that stat comes from about the average audience being full, but... I think it's a comedians being sardonic. But, like, the, the your room's nice, but getting to it is, is horrific. You go through an alley, like, under a tunnel, past some bins, and there's loads of G4S vans around the back of a courtroom. I, knew, I thought I was going to get locked up. Like, is that... <laughs> how, how do you find walking past... Are you trying to get convicted criminals in to watch? That's the, that's the target audience, yeah. No, I was the same thing. Yesterday I turned up to try and find the, the venue I was performing at, and that took me half an hour and I was the geezer performing it so I think I, there might be some audience members who never make it to the show just for geographic reasons even doing comedy a while I haven't so I'm finding it a steep learning curve and the thing I've noticed is you've got to kind of treat a room differently if it's packed and if it's really really empty like I did a show at midday when uh, considering the time like there were 40 odd people in a small room so that felt really good and there were, you know, a reasonable number of people there, and I was happy with that and then last night there was a, I was a room of four and we were on at quarter to midnight and I never know how do you because everyone has rooms like that um, how do you handle a small room because I don't know whether to act big and just fill the room with energy or whether you should kind of stop pretending you're you're in the Apollo and actually just talk to them like you're sort of sitting here I don't know how to pitch it um, to, to get painfully technical uh, I think 
you don't want to, it seems easy to try and make the noise up by being loud, but then what you get is a mismatch and no rapport because they, you're not performing in the space that you're in. You know, if you're doing a, a performance that is so big, those four people are going to sit there looking at you thinking, what's this guy on? We're not feeling any rapport because he's performing to a very different audience. There are some gigs that are so quiet, yeah, at the very least it needs to start off as a controlled chat because you are. If you're one person, uh, in some gigs where the sound system's terrible, talking to four people, that's just a conversation in a pub. And then you can slowly take it from that. If people are on board with you, you can build, you can make it a bit more interactive, build the energy in the room. But if you just bring the energy, uh, you normally see people start to fold their arms, that's it, you've lost them. So you don't, you don't want to like go on and wake them up, because that's what I tried to do last night, and like you, you can't tell whether it worked or not, because there were four people, and they, they laughed, but that's just four people, and you kind of think, it's, it's hard to do. One of the acts, I think, took it too far your way and actually sat down at one of the tables and did his set sitting down I was like well come on at least pretend <laughs> but did he did he stay sat down for the whole thing or did he start sitting down and then move back towards a stand up motif it went the other way around he started standing up to sort of said well sod it there's not many people here and then just sat at the table and it was like it was kind of like we were sitting with a very arrogant person in a pub who wouldn't let us get a word in edgeways <laughs> and was telling hilarious anecdotes like I'm sure this guy is great in a, in a big room but like I just thought I could see what he's trying to do but I just thought that was exactly the wrong way around to do it yeah I mean the thing is though you don't want to become the expert playing a room of four people it's a great skill but you don't want to have it because if, if the best room for you is a effectively empty room that, that way a good career does not lie excellent so if I do four people tonight and it goes terribly wrong I'll say well you know I don't want to be an expert in a small room yeah. great excuse uh, Edinburgh's a weird place um, and it also lives up to everything I'd expect as well first I got out the train old man wearing a kilt um but I, I've been being people have been uh, a bit off of me because I've been wearing a suit half the time I mean Frank Skinner gets away with it um, and people ask me why are you wearing a suit why are you wearing a suit yeah there's people walking around in Victorian crinolines and on bats and eyelid have you how are you found, found the public uh, I think the problem there is if you wear a suit you look like you've got a job and you do not blend in up here no I'm kidding I'm kidding if anyone's Scottish <laughs> yeah. um, no I think um, I think you can wear whatever you want. I think the odd thing with a suit, I guess, the only people who comment on it are people who know you, or have you been... No, these are just people in the street. Like, and a flyer came up to me and said, you look like you've uh, got a sense of humour. I was like, that's not a compliment, but I'll take it as one. Um, that's probably his opening line for all flyering, though. Probably, probably. Well, routine rehearsed. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm excited. Got a few more gigs to do. And uh, what's... Uh, a lot of people are quite cynical about the Edinburgh Fringe becoming either comics get nowhere because there's too many comics and it's actually and they worry about big companies moving and it becoming too corporate. What's your sort of view on the whole fringe? The corporate side of things is, is definitely changing because of what's happening with, I'm going to put in quote marks, the free fringe, because now there's at least three companies doing this free model. Probably three, maybe there's more. Uh, and I think that is definitely helping because it's, it's drawing more audience members into rooms and it's drawing some names who are big enough that they would be on the paid-for fringe. They're coming across to do the free side of it. And that brings back the spirit of what, what you'd imagine a fringe to be, you know, something on the, on the edge of a big festival. The, the problem with the actual main fringe is now so big, it's, it's devouring itself. So the fringe now has its own... No one even talks about it. I don't even know what's on at the festival. What happens? Like, oh, no. no one cares, do they? Like, it's oh, very weird. Some stuff. But it's weird. The, the, the model seems to be someone goes and puts on a show for nothing, loses thousands of pounds in the vain hope that they get a review off some stranger. Is that really how it works? Or have I got the, like, misinterpreted it? I guess it's still it. I mean, hopefully, not only do I think that's changing in terms of the amount of money you spend doing a show because they're free fringe, 
I hope it won't be long until people work out the only reason reviewers have power is because we're all giving them power by thinking they've got power. Because I, I asked a reviewer, have you ever done any comedy? And she just went, uh, no. I was like, well, it's, it's kind of like uh, the reviewers that have actually done a bit of comedy... I mean, I suppose I don't need to have been to Iraq to have an opinion on the war, but it just seems a bit odd that the people who are uh, writing about comedy seem might know least about it because they've never done it. Well, I suppose that's always been the case of all reviewers, like theatre critics, none of them. Everyone's have, a critic. Yeah, but that, right, that's, the, that's the point. Everyone is a critic, and now with social media, word of mouth should be... I'm being heckled by a car. Uh, <laughs> word of mouth should be way more powerful than the thing that someone writes on their blog. Or, it's not, or though, isn't it? Because you can't put word of mouth on a poster. Really quite funny, says Dave in the street. Uh, wouldn't have the same ring to yeah, it. Yeah, so the only thing we're aiming for is to fill our posters. But as soon as we get over that, then people can start doing something. With one of the worst things I ever did a few years ago, there was something I took out of one of my shows because I didn't think critics would like it. And now I kind of hate myself. I can't even remember what it was. But I think that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Just trying to appeal to the critics. This is a city filled with thousands of people. How ridiculous to just be aiming our art at about ten of them because they walk around with notepads. So hopefully that will change. From the mists of time there, Steve N. Allen. I'm hoping to get him on the show for a longer chat uh, later on this year. Uh, you might have heard a reference in there to me wearing a suit uh, in Edinburgh and on stage. I don't do that anymore. I found that outfit didn't really suit me. Uh, but but seriously, no, I, it was really weird me wearing a suit because uh, under no other circumstances did I ever wear it unless I was doing comedy. Uh, but we'll cover that another gra- a day, I think. Um, I think what people wear on stage is a whole other topic and, and quite an interesting one at that. So we'll put that on the list to talk about another day. A couple of things to wrap up. Um, it's too late for you to come to this because uh, by the time I get this podcast up, the, the show would have been over. But tonight, I'm off to the Camden Fringe to perform in something called Lolbot Wars. It's part Robot Wars, part Comedy Club. I have no idea. I, I just said yes. Um, sounds utterly insane. I'll let you know how I get on with that on the next podcast. But there is time to come and see me one last time before I head up to Edinburgh. Uh, my last gig before I go up to Scotland is on the 16th, August the 16th, at Downstairs at the King's Head, the f- most famous gig in London, I think, or one of them anyway. I've got to tell you that uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is nearly upon me from the 20th until the 26th of August, I'm going to be doing Mirth in the Morning, 10 past 11, every morning that week, at the loft in the counting house. It's me and some of my favourite acts. I'm going to reveal to you now some of the, just, just three of the amazing names that I've got turning up to perform for you. Line-up subject to change, obviously, uh, but, but some of the amazing names I've got booked so far include... Paul F. Taylor, Tom Deacon... Olga Koch and, wait for it, wrestling superstar Colt Cabana. I oh, know, I can't believe it either. More information on all of those shows and all the other gigs I'm doing over at rodders.com, R-H-O-D-D-E-R-S.com. The next show at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club is on September the 13th. It's going to be a brilliant show. Izzy Lawrence returns to MC, a fantastic comedian. You can see her doing intellectual-type shows in the British Museum and playing some of the biggest, rowdiest comedy clubs across the nation. Uh, her range is incredible, and she's blooming funny. Uh, that goes without saying. And the headliner is Tom Mayhew, making his return to Stand and deliver also he's uh one of these amazingly sort of self-deprecating comics but at the same time as being quite downtrodden um he's also 
amazingly in control of an audience. So definitely one to watch. Go to facebook.com forward slash stand and deliver comedy night and click on the big blue book now button. And while you buy your computer, go to iTunes or whatever you listen to this podcast in and leave me a review. If you just take those two seconds, it gets a lot more people listening to this podcast. So if you had in- have enjoyed it, that's a free, easy way, very quick way. You can encourage me to make more episodes uh, that you can enjoy as well. Uh, so this is Rodders signing out for the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast. <laughs> <laughs>